All right, so we're in Exodus 3, verses 1 through 22. Let's give our attention to God's word. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you, to, <clears throat> send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, <clears throat> If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. <coughs> to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the afflictions of Egypt but to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your, <clears throat> to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give, 
and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor, and any woman who lives in her house, for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. The grass withers, the flowers fade away, but the word of God stands forever. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we always uh, need you to be with us uh, uh, so that we might hear you. Father, I always need you to speak. Um, I'm always a weak vessel, and tonight feel that in a particular way. Uh, Would you give me the strength to speak? And would you give all of us the uh, ears to hear? And Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I kept wanting to laugh through the scripture reading and be really irreverent, but just keep hearing myself. So again, sorry, sorry about my voice. Um, so I've told you uh, <clears throat> a few uh, race stories, like foot race stories from time to time, and so here's another one. Uh, one day... Oh, uh, junior year, I think, <clears throat> sitting around at, at our house uh, with my roommates and a friend uh, of ours. Two of them, one of my roommates and this friend, get to arguing about high school football that they played and basically who was better. And that turns into, uh, you know, who's better at this and better at that aspect and uh, quickly became who was the fastest. <clears throat> And now the two people that are arguing, one of them, my roommate, is a, a much, uh, basically kind of a, a smaller framed guy. And the guy he's arguing with is a much bigger guy, just a big framed, just a big dude. And the smaller guy, they're both saying, I'm certainly faster than you are. And so it doesn't take long before it's like, all right, let's go out into the street and so we set up a, a, a starting point. <clears throat> I take 40 paces, stand 40, you know, 40-ish yards away, and I hold my hands up, and I say, go. And uh, these two guys come racing. And it didn't take long, much to the shock of the uh, handful of people that are there, uh, including myself, which felt pretty sure that the smaller guy was just going to smoke the bigger guy. And it was very much the opposite. Uh, the, the guy that uh, you would look at and think, he's not built for speed, right? Um, just smoked this guy. Um, <clears throat> it's, one of those, it's one of those times where your categories just sort of get blown up. Because bigger um, tends to not be compatible with faster, Right? Um, bigger and stronger usually means slower. <clears throat> you know, you just can't be that big and be that fast unless you just are, right? Um, it does happen. There was a guy that got drafted uh, to the NFL last year <clears throat> out of Indiana, a guy named Jason Spriggs. He is six foot six, 301 pounds. He can bench press 225 pounds, which, um, that's just a lot. 31 times in a row, 
and he runs a 4.8540. Which, if that doesn't mean a lot to you, is just pretty dang fast. Okay? He's both. How can you be both? I don't know, he just is. Now, why do I tell you that? <clears throat> well, this semester, right, if you, if you know you've been with us, we're studying through Exodus, which is this great story of God saving his people, Israel, out of slavery in Egypt. And our theme, as we look at Exodus, <clears throat> is that Exodus is the pattern of salvation. That the way that we see God save people in Exodus uh, is, is the paradigm. It's, it's really the same way that he's saving people now. And so as we examine it, we can learn a lot about what it looks like to be saved by God. <clears throat> and tonight, what I want you to see is that salvation involves, it involves encountering God. And what we're going to see is that this God that, that Moses and, and we encounter, um, God is one of those, he is the category breaker. That God is very much two things that don't seem to be able to go together, but they do. Um, And and so those are going to be our two points, these two things. And uh, I'm borrowing from theological categories here, okay? Uh, What we're going to see from this passage is that God is first, on the one hand, that he is um, transcendent transcendent that is to say that he is that he is holy almighty that he is big that he is completely different than we are right that he's just other and not but but and secondly that God is also imminent he's imminent that is to say that he is very um, he draws near. He's approachable. Um, he, he's welcoming. He identifies with his people. Two things that don't seem to be able to go together, but they do. So let's look at those two things. First, <clears throat> God is transcendent. Uh, remember where we are in the story. Moses um, was sort of poised to be the hero that would save Israel from their slavery. He had grown up in Pharaoh's household, but he um, sort of took matters into his own hands, kills this Egyptian slave master, and seemingly ruins the whole thing, because now Pharaoh wants to kill him, and so he's a refugee out in the desert. And he's been there in the desert for about 40 years. He's found a family, he's tending his sheep, minding his own business, And then he has this encounter with God. Because as he's tending his sheep, he looks over and he sees something really weird. He sees this bush that's on fire, and yet the bush is not burning up. And so he decides to go over and check it out. And as he approaches this amazing sight, God speaks to him, and God says, Do not come near Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. And so right there, in seeing this fire, Moses gets this um, living illustration 
this visible demonstration of who God is and what he's like. Um, All throughout the Bible, really, uh, very often when God shows up, he shows up as this representation of fire. Um, Genesis 15, uh, he shows up to Abraham as this smoking fire pot thing. Um, Here with Moses, uh, when he gives the Ten Commandments, he's going to uh, descend in fire on Mount Sinai. Um, In the desert, right in the wilderness, they follow what? The pillar of fire. Um, In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit, when God, the Holy Spirit, shows up in his people, he manifests himself as what? Tongues of fire over their heads. Right? You get the idea. And I'm sure it's for a number of reasons, but... <clears throat> One of at least you get the idea that fire has this amazing this amazing quality, right? It's on the one hand attractive, right? We tend to be drawn to fire. It's yeah, we want to we want to check it out. We want to sort of be near it. It's sort of beautiful, and yet it is incredibly powerful. You can't get near it. You can't touch it. It will burn you up. It's powerful and dangerous. When I was in seminary uh, one morning, Amy and I uh, woke up and the house two streets down, uh, two streets across from us was on fire. And if you've never seen a house, like, I mean, completely on, like, it burned to the ground. If you've never seen something like that, all right, so it's terrible, right? I'm sorry that the house burned down. Don't think that I'm not. But it is, in some sense, a truly awesome sight. Um, Because it just, as you begin to get anywhere near it, we were in the parking lot of this church across the street, and you could already begin to feel the heat. And so in the one sense, you wanted to go, like you wanted to see it. And yet, at the same time, you got this just immediate sense of like, that thing is serious. And you can't really get near it. You might think it's something else, but it's not. You'll get it on the way home, probably. Um, This is the... uh, This is the angel of the Lord, right? Identified as God himself appearing to Moses. And he's showing Moses that that he is infinitely holy. Um, In fact, as far as I can tell, this is the first time that the word holy is used in the Bible in relationship to God. Holy means other, set apart, uh, something that's, that's completely different. And he warns Moses, look, you can't come near because you'll, you'll be destroyed. Take off your sandals because, because I am holy. Um, and this fire serves as sort of an illustration of who God is and, and of what uh, he, he, he goes on to reveal more to Moses, right, about himself and about his transcendence. Uh, we, we see it in verse 14. Is, you know, sort of down the line in the story, Moses asked God sort of a natural question, right? Well, who are you? If I go to Israel, who do I say that you are? And God says something amazing. He says, I am who I am. And then he says, say this to Israel. I am 
has sent me to you. Now, what's that all about? It seems very weird to say, I am who I am. Um, all right, so when God says, I am who I am, he is using the, uh, very simply the Hebrew word, verb, the to be verb. And then when he, <clears throat> a little while later, uh, says his name, that I am, it's very closely related to that. Uh, it's, it's where, it's the name Yahweh. Right? When you see uh, Lord, L-O-R-D in all caps <clears throat> in your Bible, that's your, uh, in a lot of translations at least, um, it's translating, uh, that's when um, uh, the Hebrew is Yahweh. Uh, this name for God, his, his sort of personal covenant name that seems to, um, that's closely related to the fact, to, to this to be verb. Basically God is coming along and he's looking at Moses and saying, <clears throat> who am I? I just am. Well, you are what? Yes. I am everything. I have no beginning. I have no end. I am the ever existent one. I am the, I am the forever present tense. I just am. I am all-powerful, almighty. Everything finds its start and its finish in me. Everything exists because of me. I just am. I am self-sufficient. I don't need anything. I just am. It's almost like you could picture the conversation. So wait, are you the God that, and whatever you fill in the blank with, yes. Are you the God that causes the sun to rise? Yes. Are you the God that sends rain? Yes. Are you the God that makes people live and causes people to die? I am. I am everything. Right? It's our minds can't catch up to it. So back to this picture of the burning bush, right? It's this bush uh, it's this fire that is burning, and yet it doesn't need the bush. It doesn't need fuel to be there. It is just existence in and of itself. You can't touch it. You can't get near it. It's beautiful, and yet it's terrifying. And notice, what is Moses' response? He comes into contact. He encounters this God that is holy. <clears throat> Verse 6, Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. This happens all throughout the Bible when um, God or uh, one of his messengers shows up. Very often the first thing they say is what? Don't be afraid. Why? Because it's terrifying. Because God in his holiness, in his majesty, in his everythingness, he's just not like us. And Moses comes into his presence. And when he, when he encounters God, Moses comes, it's almost like Moses just comes apart at the seams. He sees himself for who he really is in relation to this holiness. And he's just kind of undone. He looks and he basically thinks like, I, I, I'm, I'm over. Right? You see, that's what happens to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. 
he goes up to the throne room of God. He has this vision of being in front of God. Holy, holy, holy. And he says what? I am undone. I don't know if this is helpful, but um, I don't have time to tell a story about, uh, you know, when we almost got the uh, Korean lady in Montana killed on a hike by a grizzly bear. But ask me about it, I'll tell you later. But um, it's a great story. <clears throat> it was an accident. Right? Imagine being on a hike and coming across, you know, you're hiking somewhere, and then all of a sudden you are face to face with an enormous grizzly bear or, the, or, or a huge lion. Right? I mean, you're, you're five feet from this thing. And it, it wants you. Right? You can, I think you get a little sense of that feeling of like, in relation to this thing, like, I got nothing. I'm over. Right? That's a little bit, I think, of what Moses is experiencing. So for me and you, that's how you can know that you've encountered the true God. Um, You know that you've encountered God when you see Him and it causes causes you to see you for who you really are. And you begin... uh, and you're exposed. You know you've encountered God, the real God, when, when you've been exposed in your sin. Uh, when you've experienced God and it's made you realize, I am not what I'm supposed to be. I don't measure up. That I really do deserve to be wiped out. Uh, that my best efforts, the good things that I do, are worthless in comparison to Him. Um, that I deserve, that I deserve, yeah. That I, I <clears throat> how do you say it? That I deserve to be just eaten up because I'm nowhere near. The, the majesty and the power of this thing. It's kind of like the tissue test on the, the teeth whitening commercial. Have you seen that? Right? And the girl says, like, have you tried the tissue test? And the idea is, like, you look in the mirror and you think, I think my teeth look fine. They're white. And then, but you hold it up, you know, next to, I actually did it. Just to say I did. You hold it up next to a piece of white paper or a tissue, something that truly is white, and you realize, oh, my gosh, my teeth are disgusting. Right? That's the picture. God is utterly transcendent and holy. And when you come into His presence, when you truly encounter Him, you see yourself for who you really are. But that's not all Moses encounters. Second thing we need to look at. God is utterly transcendent. And He is imminent. He, Moses experiences something else um, on this mountain. He experiences that at the same time, this God who has all those things we just talked about, at the same time wants to identify with him. He wants to be near to Moses. Um, That he identifies himself with Moses. All right, where do we see that? Verse 12, right after Moses asks, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Notice what God's answer is. He doesn't tell Moses, no, 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 you can do it. You're better than you think. Um, 
You are good enough. He doesn't say anything about Moses. What does he tell him? God says, I will be with you. You have nothing to fear because I am is going to be with you. Another example, another instance of where we see it. Um, Two other names that God uses for himself with Moses. I love this part. Verse 6, verse 15, and verse 16. How does God speak of himself? God says, "I uh, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now look, if you grew up in church, especially if you grew up in church, you hear that and you uh, very well might think like, well, yeah, that's what God calls himself. Seems very formal. Um, Seems very uh, regal, maybe, um, to identify yourself with the the great patriarchs, great um, fathers of the faith. And in one sense, you know, fair enough. Um, But... If you think about it, are those guys a big deal in the Bible? Yeah, but why are they a big deal in the Bible? They're a big deal in the Bible because, not because of how great they are, but actually because of how normal and messed up they are, and God chooses and uses them anyway. Right? Think about who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were. Abraham, uh, we talked about this in our Genesis study a year or so ago. Before God called Abraham, he was a moon-worshipping, literally, moon-worshipping redneck. And then when God calls him, um, we see him do things like uh, be deceptive. Like he tells, uh, uh, the, um, he tells the king in a foreign country, he lies to him and says that his wife is his sister. So that his wife can marry the king and he won't die. To save his own life, he basically sells out his wife. That's Abraham. Isaac, his son, does. Oh, actually, Abraham does it twice. Isaac ends up, interestingly enough, doing the exact same thing. He's just as deceptive. And then Jacob, what does he do? Um, Jacob is a cheat and, a de- and deceptive as well, right? He cheats his brother out of his inheritance. They're terribly flawed people. And yet God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are my people. I'm with them. My favorite example uh, instance is in verse 18. He tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and tell him that that, uh, you have spoken to the God of the Hebrews. Right? You go tell the most influential and powerful man on the earth that you've spoken to the God of his slaves. The people that he has complete control over, he thinks, right? You go tell him the God of the Hebrews is, you know, talking to you. Right? That, in one sense is not real impressive. Like, oh, wow, you're in charge of the uh, people that I can make do whatever I want, huh? But think about what that's saying, how Moses would hear that. What's God saying? This is I am. He owns everything. He is all existence. And he says, 
These are my people. I'm identifying myself with them. Right? I'm not ashamed of these people. Not only am I not ashamed of them, right? I am proud of they are mine. It's a beautiful thing. He loves it's just this huge show that he loves his people. Um, I, last fall, there was a story in October. Uh, it, was in, it happened in Auburn, Alabama. There's a student, <clears throat> a senior in high school named Holman Head, and he's a huge NASCAR fan. Um, and he's a, he's a student, but he has very significant um, special needs, right? Um, life is very, very, very difficult for him, um, and very different for him also. And he's got a uh, classmate and a lifelong friend, a girl named Taylor Johnson. And they grew up together. And uh, Taylor uh, does not have special needs. Um, Very, I guess you could say, mainstream. Um, And uh, I got a quote from Holman's mom. said, this is a quote, he has faced... with a lot of nevers in his life. In other words, he's never going to get to you know, those sorts of things. So uh, Taylor, who is this very, um, gosh, I hate to say it like this, is very normal, that's in quotes, right? Um, attractive, healthy uh, senior girl. She asked, <clears throat> man, sick. She asked him to prom, or to homecoming, to homecoming. She dresses up like Kyle Busch, his favorite race car driver. Makes up a sign that says, will you race with me to prom, to homecoming, something like that. And asked him, right? This is a kid that would never, he's never been to a dance, He's never going to go to a dance. And a girl who could go probably with most anybody she wanted. And she... That is the sickness. And she asked him to be her date. And this is her quote. He just means the world to me. I could never... I could never imagine a better date than him. Right? It made national news. Because she's basically saying, look, I am Holman's date. Something that may not to the world seem like something to be proud of. But I am very proud because I love him. It's beautiful. So much so that they ask Holman... Do you want to ride a race car? Uh, Kyle Busch hears about it, sends like, you know, uh, all this paraphernalia, gives this stuff to him, sends a race car to pick them up, take them to homecoming. And they say, you know, do you want to ride up front with the driver? This is unbelievable. He says, no. I like to ride with my home girl. <laughs> That's what he said. Right? He felt it. He felt this girl say, I'm with you because I love you. And it melted him. 
And so I just want to end real quickly by saying, have you ever encountered a God like that? Because yes, God is on the one hand utterly transcendent. <clears throat> but he also is a loving God that longs to connect with you, that is, that is near to you and, and wants to be with you. Um, you'll, know that, <clears throat> you'll know that you've experienced a God like that because he's going to make you more like he is. He's going to make you more into somebody that, that is, <clears throat> and we could list a number of ways, but two things that are hard to put together that don't seem to go together. Um, he'll make you into somebody that's humble and confident. Right? You'll reflect him. Um, You'll be humbled by the fact that this utterly transcendent God has anything to do with you. You'll recognize yourself in light of Him that, that you're flawed. And it'll make you humble more and more. But it'll also, on the other hand, make you confident because even though you sh- He shouldn't have anything to do with you, He should never ask you to homecoming. But he loves you. And it'll make you a more confident person. You'll be confident in that love. You'll be able to look at the opinions of other people and the things that the world throws at you and whatever else, fill in the blank, and be able to be confident more and more in his love because you've experienced and encountered him. So how can that be true? I didn't leave enough time, but um, the short answer is because of Jesus. Uh, in John 8, Jesus is in a discussion with some Jewish religious leaders. And uh, he says this, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw my day and was glad. And basically these uh, Jewish religious leaders say, like, wait a minute, you're not even like anywhere near 50 yet, and yet you've met Abraham? And Jesus' answer is, Truly, truly, I say to you, before, before Abraham was, I am. And it says they picked up stones to stone him, to try to kill him. Because they heard what he was saying. They didn't believe him, but they heard what he was saying. That Jesus was saying, I am the great I am. I am Yahweh. I am the utterly transcendent, can't get near me, can't touch me, God. And yet at the same time, I, I love you and I've come so near and identified with you. Not just that I've come and taken on flesh and walked you know, near you and been around you, but that I'm going to take your place. I'm going to identify myself with you. I'm going to take your sin on the cross. And I'm going to identify my righteousness with you. We're going to switch places. The great I am coming so that he can identify himself with us. That's the good news of encountering God. He's utterly transcendent and yet unimaginably imminent, loving near us. And he's offered to you. Let me pray for us. Father, that you are both things in so many ways is beyond us. Would you help us to understand them? 
Would you help us to encounter? Would, would you cause us to experience you? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.